And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Isn't that amazing? I, over and over again, as I, like you, have been reading it every single day, it just captures me in new and different ways. And Mary is making big God's goodness and greatness and generosity in and through Jesus's birth, right? And Mary simply wants to just magnify that. She's been reminding us of God's goodness and God's holiness, about God's mercy and about God's power, and even about God's justice and righteousness. That is what we're gonna try to talk about today is the ways in which Mary lifts up this amazing gift of God's justice and righteousness. But it's an interesting concept because the the words in the prayer are so wonderful and so joy-filled. And then we get to today's verses in verses 52 and 53, and we we get thrown off just a little bit. Want to reclaim them for you just to remind you because they seem of a completely different ilk from every other verse in the scriptures uh, today. So let me read verses 52 and 53. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, those words just feel harsh. You know, there's there's the powerful being brought down and the lowly are raised up and uh, those who are hungry get filled, but those who are uh, rich, man, they get sent away. And there just seems to be this sort of dichotomy about, golly, what does all that mean? And how does all that work? And, And so, This is about God's justice and righteousness that I want to deal with today, but I I have to own. The words are awkward, aren't they? They they just feel sort of weird and and they they make us feel uncomfortable when we see them and when we hear them, right? And so I, I want us to be mindful that what Mary is talking about is God's justice and God's righteousness. It's not about kicking people out or doing things that are harsh or sort of judgmental, but rather it's about acknowledging how God brings about righteousness and justice. Now, I don't know about you, but you hear those words. I grew up in the church. Some of you may have grown up in the church. I heard them all my life, but sometimes they're hard to understand, to comprehend, right? Righteousness and justice. So I want to talk a little bit about those first. And then I want to try to address how it is Mary is sort of addressing that in her Magnificat and how and why it's important to our celebration of Advent. So let's talk about the hardest word first, righteousness, right? It's a big old long word and we don't often know what it means. I'm going to talk about it in two forms. One is God's righteousness. God's righteousness simply means that God is right and true and pure. It means that everything about God is good. 
Everything about God is right, right? And so when we talk about God in that format, we just are mindful that that's a form of, that, that's what righteousness means, that God is true, pure, and right. And there's nothing bad or wrong or evil about God. It's all righteous, if you will. I love the way the psalmist put it in Psalm 89 when he just said, righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. He's talking about God there. And, and so he's just making it real clear. This is important. This is what is the basis point of how God operates and the way God works, right? So God's righteousness is the way God is. Our righteousness is doing right in God's sight. That is to say, to do the right thing, to do, to, to, to do things that are well-pleasing to God. That's what makes us righteous. And we get it from our ancestor, Abraham. Remember Abraham, long time ago, right? In Genesis chapter 18, um, God speaks of Abraham and the way in which he's gonna become the father of many nations, the father of the three major world religions, right? Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And, and part of what we know is, he was righteous, and that was an important thing. Hear what it says in Genesis 18. It says, God says this of Abraham, I have chosen him so he would command his children and his descendants to live the way the Lord wants them to, in righteousness and justice. Then I, the Lord, will give Abraham what I promised him. So part of what we glean there is, Abraham, who is the father of all this, who sets this all in motion, he was about doing what is right in God's sight. And you know, we, we know that today is what, what are commonly referred to as just the great commandments, right? Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. When we love, we are being righteous. When we forgive, we are being righteous. As we act mercifully towards others, we are being righteous. Part of what righteous means is being made right with God, doing the right thing, but also being in right relationship with God. And that's what Mary's talking about in her prayer. She's explaining to us as the listener that when Jesus comes, he will bring that righteousness with him. And it looks magnificent and it is made big through her prayer. So when you are righteous, you're not holier than thou. You're not sort of um, judgmental. You're not sort of better than anybody else. Righteousness is not about your relationship with others so much as it is about your relationship with God. And then that bleeds over into our relationship with other people. So that's righteousness. And Mary wants us to know it's possible because of the birth of this coming baby. And then she talks about justice and justice, man, it's a wholly other thing. Justice is a fascinating deal that we, we often feel as though we know what it means because of our modern day times, but I'm convinced we don't fully grasp it. But here's a simple definition, if you will. Justice simply means making right what is wrong in the world. And man, unfortunately, there's a bunch of wrong, right? There's, there, are, there are things that go wrong. There are things that are wrong. There are things that are evil. And justice simply means let's write those over. Let's right side them, right? And so righteousness and justice obviously are heavily tied together. Righteousness is about a relationship and justice is about the way in which we live those righteous things out. How do we make right that which is wrong in the world? Now, Deuteronomy, which is one of the books of the Torah, those first few books in the Bible that kind of set the course 
for how the Israelites would be faithful and in turn how we as, as their descendants are faithful. Deuteronomy chapter 16 says this about justice. He says, justice and only justice you shall pursue so that you may live and occupy the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. So part of what Moses was saying to the Israelites was, Justice is what we all need to be about. Justice is what will put us in right relationship with God. And ultimately, it will be what helps us in a relationship with other people. We must be about justice. You know, I've heard from many corners of folks who say we shouldn't be about social justice or justice is not biblical. And I'm here to tell you, friends, and we're about to see there's a whole lot in Scripture that talks about justice and how it ought to right society or social justice, as you might call it. And there's really two forms of justice, one of which we know a heck of a lot about and the other of which we don't know much about at all. And unfortunately, that's what's more discussed in the scriptures and what we ought to be about. You know, the first form of justice that we know about is what's known as retributive justice. I know that's a big old word, but retributive justice just means that there's punishment for our actions or our behaviors. That's the kind of stuff we know about, right? That's what the courts of law are all about. That's why we have judges. That's why we have police. We want to keep things in order. And retributive justice says, when you do something wrong, there is justice, right? There's going to, we're going to, there's going to be punishment or we will right your wrong through the court system. That's what we know a lot about because it's how our government is set up. But there's something in scripture that, that is in Scripture, by the way, retributive justice. It's in there several times. But what's more in Scripture than retributive justice is the other form of justice. It's called restorative justice. And restorative justice is very simple, yet very difficult to implement. Restorative justice simply means that we want to restore the original intention. In this case, we want to restore God's original intention. God's original intention is what Mary's talking about in the prayer, that we need to right the wrongs of society, that we need to do the right thing in the world, that we need to care for others, that we need to provide for the upkeep of the world, that we need to uh, keep things in proper perspective, that we need to act justly, right? And so a part of what justice means here in restorative versus retributive, one of the ways I think of it, this goes back, this ages me just a little bit, but I hope it helps you. I want you to think of the difference between the Nuremberg trials after World War II, where we were looking after and trying to prosecute uh, the Nazi criminals, right? The Nuremberg trials were all about retributive justice. Let's capture, let's prosecute, and let's imprison. That's retributive justice. It's a proper thing to do. It's a good thing to do. But then cast that over and against what was known um, uh, as the um, truth and reconciliation um, conquest in South Africa during apartheid. You may recall that the Truth uh, and Reconciliation Commission was all about righting the wrongs of apartheid. They were not concerned with whether or not someone would go to jail for acting out on apartheid, but rather they were all about how do we right this wrong? How do we restore our relationships back with one another? That's the difference between retributive justice and restorative justice. And probably by a, a, a ratio of three or four to one, Scripture identifies restorative justice over and over and over again. You know, the word justice and certainly restorative justice is in Scripture at least 170 times. 
And you think to yourself, oh, golly, there's all kinds of words and there's thousands of words and, you know, words occur all the time. But just compare 170 for the word justice to other words like prayer and um, faith because and forgiveness. The word justice actually appears in Scripture more than prayer, more than uh, uh, forgiveness. And that says something, doesn't it? It says that maybe this is important. Maybe this is something we ought to be about. Maybe this is something we ought to achieve. Justice is critical. In fact, the word justice and more importantly, restorative justice occurs most commonly in the book of Psalms and in the book of the prophet Isaiah. Well, you know, there's an interesting fact about those two books. They are the most quoted books in all of the New Testament, Psalms and Isaiah. And in particular, they are the two most quoted books by Jesus himself. And in many of those instances, Jesus is quoting their passages about justice and certainly about mercy. And Mary's trying to highlight that in her prayer. You know, for instance, in the prophet Isaiah, in his very first chapter, when he's sort of laying out what he is to be about, he identifies this as the common cause for who we ought to be. He says in verse 17, learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. That's what we need to be about. And I'm sure many of us are familiar with Micah's famous passage, the prophet Micah, who spoke to the Israelites and told them many things, but not the least of which was in chapter six, that what the Lord requires is for us to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. So justice and righteousness are core to Scripture. They are absolutely foundational to who we are as followers of Jesus. And Mary is simply trying to help highlight the fact that this is what God is bringing into the world through God's child, Jesus, that Mary is going to birth. And she's going to help us better understand that it's going to be about righting the wrongs in the world and helping us to become right in our relationship with God. Listen to the way uh, Eugene Peterson's rendering of those same two verses uh, speaks, because I think it helps us a little bit to better understand what Mary is trying to portray here. Here's what uh, the message says. He knocked tyrants off their high horses pulled victims out of the mud. The starving poor sat down to a banquet. The callous rich were left out in the cold. That sounds a little better, doesn't it? Not quite as harsh, not quite as condemning, but it acknowledges there's some disparity, right? When it says uh, tyrants get knocked off their high horse, I, I wouldn't mind seeing that, right? When we pull victims out of the mud, that's righting the wrong of being cast out or being pushed under, right? When we hear about starving poor getting to sit at a banquet, wouldn't that be cool to be able to see and witness and encounter that, maybe even help cause that ourselves? And then ultimately, the callous rich were left out. You know, not all rich people are callous. Not all rich people are, are bad people. Uh, not all rich people do wrong things, right? So part of what Mary was trying to say in her prayer was simply, golly, God, there is this disparity in the world, sometimes between power and the powerless, sometimes between the rich and the poor. And all Mary is acknowledging is when Jesus comes, 
He's going to help bridge that gap. He's going to repair that breach. He's going to bring things more into equitable relationship. And, you know, in, in an early time like Mary's, sometimes that sounds a little harsh. That's why I love Eugene Peterson's rendering. But it's funny because Scripture often describes um, justice and righteousness as bridging these gaps. Uh, I think, for instance, of uh, John the Baptist, Jesus's cousin, Mary's, uh, Mary's nephew. When in Luke chapter three, he's describing what it is his cousin Jesus is going to bring. He says it this way in Luke chapter three, he just says, the valleys will be filled, the mountains and hills made level, the curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. I'd like to see the rough places in the world made smooth, wouldn't you? There's a lot of rough places these days in attitudes, in behaviors, in words, in the way we treat people sometimes. Those are rough. And a part of what Jesus brings is a reminder that, man, we need to smooth those out. We need to lift up the lowly and maybe even sort of bring down the high and mighty, if you will, so that there's greater equity in the world. Jesus himself put it this way in Luke chapter 14. He just said, look, all who lift themselves up, they'll be brought low. And those who make themselves low, they'll be lifted up. This is what justice is, friends. Justice deals with systems in the world. Justice makes right the problems of the world. And Mary's highlighting that, that Jesus will bring that gift. Part of what I love about Mary's song is it highlights what even the prophets of old knew. Um, they knew that the birth of this Messiah who would be to come, who we know as Jesus, would make God's goodness and holiness real, would make God's mercy tangible, would help bring God's justice and righteousness into reality. You think about it. That prophet Isaiah that I mentioned, we often read from Isaiah uh, in the season of Advent because he points out what it is Jesus is going to bring. And listen to, in part, what he points out. He says, for instance, in Isaiah chapter 9, of, of this coming Messiah, His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and His kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. That's pretty powerful, wouldn't you say? And then in Isaiah chapter 11, he says, righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. This is Jesus. This is the babe that Mary will birth. This is the one about whom the song is sung. Friends, what we can celebrate this third Sunday of Advent as we make ready for Jesus's birth is that he brings this righteousness and justice and he calls us to live it every single day. So my prayer for us in the days that lie ahead is that we would figure out ways to be in good and right relationship with God and the Magnificat will help. And that we choose to sort of um, do whatever we can to alter those wrongs in the world, to make them right-sided, to help them become just, that we can restore God's original design. Thanks be to God for Mary's song and what she helps us to see. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, what a gift Mary offers. Help us now, God, to have the courage to step in right relationship with God, to step out 
and to offer justice in the world. When we see wrongs, God, help us to make them right. When we are participating, perhaps even, Lord, in things that are not quite right, let us bring them into right relationship with your design, God. Help us, Lord, because, man, there's just so much that's not quite right in the world. Give us your courage and give us um, the opportunity to do your good work, just as Mary has reminded us. God, for all of this, we give you thanks and pray this in the name of the just and righteous child, Jesus. Amen. Hey friends, in this season of Advent, as we make ready for the birth of Jesus and move towards the end of the year, I, I not only wanna say thanks to you for all of your generosity throughout the year, but I wanna remind you that in these last few weeks, we need your giving and your generosity more than ever before. Much like the retail world, uh, we rely heavily on year-end giving to help us not only complete the year, but move well into the new year. So please, where you're able, make those donations and help us finish the year well. If you'd like to make that donation now, you can of course scan the QR code that's here on the screen, or you can text the letters T-M-U-M-C to the number 45777. I'm thanking you in advance for the wonderful ways you will be generous this year end.